for for those just checking in we just had a total room moment with our going live so thank everyone for their grace and uh if you don't have any grace then fight one but um <laughs> that's crypto for you hey it's not web three to hate if we can't get our post right so here we are back talking about data ownership and we're live jay did you find the right one the new one, yep. 345. Forget it. Let's go into data ownership. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Before before we go into data ownership, I, I wanna I wanna do the the little circle that we were we were doing before. We were talking about kind of like what's been going on recently. Oh, and I think Grant, you were hitting on something that's really key in the and that's that people are gonna end up engaging with crypto, engaging with blockchain, engaging with yes. web three, engaging with all these things without even knowing it. Yes, And this will happen, and this is part of the adoption cycle. And we're slowly getting into, I think, that five-year cycle of where you're going to start being like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that there's blockchain-backed, essentially. Yeah. Or, you know, that was that was tokenized. And for me, this was talking to my father earlier, and it was like, this is going to happen first off in membership and rewards yeah. programs. So your gym programs or any kind of ticketing, I think that that's super low hanging fruit for this stuff. Airlines will eventually do that. And then it's like, oh, last minute, I can't make my flight. I could go sell that online, maybe recoup my money or maybe not. Airlines yeah. get to cut down on customer service. They'll even, United Airlines will have its own little NFT marketplace where you can just sell airline tickets. Um, yeah. You know, and that could get out of control because then all of a sudden the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and the Sunday after Thanksgiving, you could stack up a whole plane and then make money. I mean, it, you know, it gets Machiavellian quick, but I do think that is where a very first use case is going to happen. Yeah. And then they'll continue to to roll out there. But do we want to talk more about the the DeFi and TradFi? Because I think you were you were making really great points about how Ernst & Young has had a blockchain department since 2015, which is seven years now. And if you had it before the, you know, that's be two bull before two bull runs and two crypto winners, essentially, because we're in the midst of that second crypto winner. What other companies do you think like Ernst & Young are maybe going to start to sprout and really be ahead of everyone else by almost a decade as we move forward? Well, I would say this. I think my major point with some of the homework I was doing about some of the institutions and and currently the dialogue in crypto is when people talk about institutions, they're talking about institutional investing. What they forget is there's institutions that are just sitting on stacks of cash, not for investing. The, the venture capital days of crypto are gone because they've realized that there's no CEOs. There's only developers and hype boys. And with developers and hype boys, like that needs to be noted. Okay, duly noted. So what are they doing with their money? They're just hiring. They're just hiring. Mercy Corps is hiring, right? Like they're just hiring people internally. And I think right now, anyone who's a holdout to the cyberpunk and cyberfunk mentality, who is um, not, I don't mean this, take this word the right way, who's a maxi on anything. Now, you and I know what you mean when you say Bitcoin maxi, you're just a big proponent that Bitcoin will emerge as, will continue to sustain as like digital gold. And you're just a fan of what that's doing, but that doesn't mean you hate other projects. So I actually think this idea of being, um, it's like in crypto, I'm only for GameStop. If I'm only for GameStop in stock market trading, at some point, I'm gonna get left holding a bag. Even if I make money on the run-up, if I, if I am not about principled trading, principled investing, or principled building in terms of entrepreneurship at large, at some point, if I'm a fanboy or a fangirl of one particular thing, 
I will get burnt. Because the institutions that I'm watching are institutions that are not injecting capital into crypto. They're ones that are building internally what all of the uh, crypto boys and crypto girls saying, hey, man, it's a crypto winner. No one's on Twitter. Everyone's quiet. We're building. And it's like, yeah, so is Ernst & Young's, but they're building with $60 million internally and hiring and educating. And they've been low-key about it for seven years. And they're going to come out of stealth. And so I, I don't, I think when these institutions come out of stealth, they're going to have tools. They don't need to use the term NFT. The American, the American Airlines example you gave, they're not going to say, hey, we've got an NFT marketplace for your tickets. They're going to say, sell your tickets last minute. That's it. That's all they're going to say. Yeah. And it's like, oh shit, that's a feature. So, so when we see these institutions come in, we're going to see um, jargon that phase one of crypto has stopped using. That jargon's going to go away. And yeah. so my point, it's a warning to the people I love. And the people I love are crypto fans in general. My warning is this. Take off your crypto boy hat and put on your entrepreneur hat <laughs> and start getting involved because you're going to get left holding the bag and you're just going to get blown right by by these institutions, if that makes sense. That's kind of where that's a that's my warning. What? what OK, be an entrepreneur. OK, do you think that because I'm trying to for anyone listening that is just a retail investor and is just an average sure. person in the world mm -hmm. and is, you know, we're in such a tipped world, unbalanced world that the elite is like. <laughs> You know, you need to probably have more than $10 million to be in that category for me, sure. in my opinion. And even that is like a light bag for many people. So if you don't have that and you work a normal job and you make your money and, you know, you have your 401k and your real estate, one can that, what can that person do? Or someone that doesn't have a 401k, doesn't have real estate, you know, who's bankless and who's hearing this and who's like, okay, you're telling me the institutions have way bigger money, way bigger leverage is what you're saying. And they have seven years on me in a race. Yeah. How do you compete? What's your What's your advice? So uh, that's a great question, and I'm going to answer not from my the fact that I love crypto, philosophically, ideologically, but if I were sitting around a bunch of twenty somethings and they're like, "Should I do drop shipping on Shopify?" We're talking about infopreneuring. Should I create a course for my niche? Take off. Unless you're a technologist, a developer, if you're a developer, double down, right? But if you are a commentator or whatever, or a business development person, I say, and Austin's probably a great example of this. In entrepreneurship, if you love a topic and you're skilled at a topic, but you're not the actual technician, what you do is build network, what they call community building, but that's even passe now. Quit doing community building, build real relationships and look for pain. Look for real world pain. So a lot of the projects right now, we're all like, oh, look what blockchain could do. I could put insurance, but on blockchain. I could put the mortgage, but on blockchain. But they're not really answering any real felt pain. So the entrepreneurship hat says, okay, let me stop being, let me stop fangirling about the concept that everything, just put a, you know, like put an egg on it. That'll make it hipster. In this case, put blockchain on it. That'll make it Web3. Instead of that at all, <laughs> you know uh, well, I, I, I know you're talking about putting a fried egg on a burger and then charging $5 more and then that's cool. Yeah. I'm excited. 
But when you originally said it, I just pictured a burger in my mind and then just an egg. <laughs> so yeah, anyway. there that's out there, man. But in this case, what I what I'd like for people to do is take that hat off. Maybe get good to great by Jim Collins and start asking yourself what what people group am I passionate about helping, and what pain are they feeling regularly, day in and day out, and how can I solve it at large? And then maybe crypto can be a part of that. We're talking about podcasters, the three of us with our side project for W3PN, and that might even evolve, but it's evolving because I like the questions we're asking, what pain are they really feeling? And, and it, we happen to have an NFT component on the roadmap, learn to earn, listen to earn, memberships, sponsorships, all through NFTs, but let's not call it that. Let's actually just, just answer the pain. So uh, my recommendation is, is quit. Oh God, I'm going to say this. Quit talking about blockchain. Start talking about daily pain. Quit talking about it. Mic drop. <laughs> Jay, Jay, where, where are you on this? Because <laughs> what I'm, I'm trying to suss out is like, you know, I think there's two ways in my, in my opinion, and there's probably more, right? But I think the, the two most straightforward avenues are build around the pain as we move into the for future and just use these new technologies to help you do that, right? Or the other one is, and I think you can do both of them actually, but the other one is just invest in the currencies that you think are gonna support the platforms that are gonna solve the most pain. If you're a retail, um, you, you started your, to be fair, you started your question with, if you're a retail trader, what should you do? And yeah, treat it like a stock that you're familiar with because you know it's future like the ISO 20022 or something like that, not financial advice, but yes, that's a good point. Yeah, Jay, where do you where where do you lend and how are you doing it? As you know, as the three of us are just retail investors. We're not, you know, we're not backed by these uh, investment branches uh, and and OPM, right? The most important thing in investment, other people's money. So, yes. Yeah. I mean, not, not financial advice, but you know, what I I think my my stance is still holds water here, you know, investing yourself first of all. Investing yourself and then after that if you really want to go and invest in something else, like I, I think you got to stay in your teacher. You got to stay at the cutting edge of the whole thing, right? And yeah. what what you see that the bleeding edge of of acquiring wealth right now is really in early stage investments. So yes. whether you're an angel investor or you know pre seed or seed round or something like that, you know before it actually gets to the point where you need to be an, an accredited investor to, to get in. Um, yeah. That, that I think is, is, is where the, the difference maker is for, for people who have the privilege to be involved in, in this type of activity. I love the fact you said, stay on the bleeding edge. So I mentioned to my friend who I meet for coffee every Tuesday morning, and uh, he, he always asks me about crypto. And he asked me, you know, he asked me about this topic. And I said, uh, retail crypto investors don't give a shit about anonymity or decentralization. They care about their investments. And they're realizing I was, the reason they were fanboying and fangirling about crypto investments and the last bull run in hindsight, they realized it's because they had insider knowledge of an investment, not insider knowledge of a technology. They actually knew shit about the technology. 
How do we know? Because in this bear run, they're wringing their hands going, I don't know what to post about. Meaning, well, I was a fanboy or fangirl of GameStop until it tanked and then I went quiet. So what they're realizing is that the, the, the bear market susses out who's here just to trade and make money versus who's here because they actually are passionate about the thing. And so what's that, that, that one trader who is passionate about GameStop? Kitty, uh, what is that dude? He went in front of Congress and everything. I forget his name, but he stuck with GameStop because he was truly passionate about that particular stock. And so, and so Jay, I was telling this guy this morning about it, and uh, I said, no one cares about decentralization. Few, few, let me retrace that. Few care about decentralization and anonymity truly, which are the foundations we think of crypto. We're realizing that. And he said, oh, Grant, well, what's the key then? And I said to him what you just said. The key is to always stay on the bleeding edge because there's always a window when that stuff matters. I just think that the window for that stuff mattering for mainstream crypto is closing, especially with ISO 222, the ISO update. When that happens, I think that people will realize the benefit of blockchain and yielding anonymity and decentralization to Ripple, Algorand, those that we've talked about. <clears throat> and now, and then they're like, well, yeah, because all that stuff is the reason we have these gangly DEXs. All that stuff's the reason we lost money on Wonderland. You know, what's so funny I mean, about that, Jerry? I just love your the word gangly. It's it's such a good adjective, <laughs> and it's hardly ever used. And I, I'm, whenever I hear a good adjective, I try to put it into Spanish, and I don't even know how to say that in Spanish. And it, it would probably have a very offensive way I would say it. So <laughs> I think it's very interesting what you said about, you know, you were just there. Basically, what you're saying is you're, there were people who were there for the money, and there were people who were there for, like, the potential. And yeah. those are two separate things. And the yeah. the thing I saw the other day, Yahoo Finance posted, but it was through Bloomberg. It said that NFTs are down the trading volume. I think this was looking at OpenSea. is down 97% from a yeah. record high of $17 billion this past January to only $466 million in September. Now, yeah. $466 million moved on a platform is a lot of money. Good yeah. on them. But the fact that it's 97% down, it's only 3% essentially of what it was, is shocking. And it really shows you that the NFTs, PFPs are dead, in my opinion. I mm -hmm. think that in, 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 in a broad brush stroke of like every six months, there'll be some new PFP that figures it out, unlocks the key, gets the right community, has the right branding, does the right marketing, has the right celeb people next to it, uh, whatever, you know, puts itself in a niche, does something right, and it will work. But if you're trying to start an NFT project moving here forward, you can't be thinking about money. You got to be thinking about the potential, what it's going to be doing, because a lot of it now with free mints is the new thing. Uh, yeah. So anyways, I, I just think moving forward, like you said, NFTs are not going to be NFTs. Even with uh, Jose, we're going to be starting Lunch Money Gems. We're, we're, we're going to refer to it as digital assets, at least on all of the flyers. Uh, yeah. People will know what that means who are in crypto. And those who don't know, maybe like, oh, that's kind of interesting. What is that about? But yeah. we don't want to say blockchain, NFTs, or any of that. And if we do, it's super, super tiny. Uh, and it will be things that the crypto or NFT or Web3 community will understand and pick up on. Like when you see WAGMI, you know exactly what it means. If I saw that like spray painted on a building or if it was like the wag me bar, I'd be like, oh, I got to go in there. But most other people would be like, what is that? Like, you know, so I do think moving forward, the nomenclature is going to change. And that makes sense as it changes with the culture. 
If we just yeah. even look at what yeah. automobiles have been called over their lifetime, yeah, it's just going to completely change. So, oh yeah, the horseless carriage, and now you know. But I, I would say too, like this is a very interesting observation anthropologically. Like the language set, like you just said, wag me. Like literally two months ago, we both would have bought the T-shirt and put the painting in our bedroom, and actually probably still would. I just took the painting down. Yeah, but if we had a date come over, we might pull it down, right? And today, I'm hearing it, and it it sounds archaic. It sounds archaic to hear now, and, and that's not because that's not a judgment. That's not a qualitative statement at all. It just sounds like, oh man, it just, it feels a little dated. So what's the place for that? The underground, the underground will thrive because that's what the underground technologists have been doing with biohackers and the cyber funk mentality. But for mainstream retail traders, they're going to let it go. And they're just going with, instead of NFT ticketing, they're just going to say digital tickets. And you just said digital assets. That's going to be normalized now. Allison. Allison says, I agree. NFTs have moved in from or on probably from PFPs. This is about NFTs being the tool, digital assets to change how we do business. And A, Allison is still up. Props to you, Allison. She's in the UK and she's still awake, like man. Nine o'clock. Yeah, yeah, man. Totally like nine o'clock. <laughs> oh, is it? All of us are on the Mark Wahlberg Spartan, you know, workout. We go to bed at 6 p.m. We wake up at two and we just like lift logs over our heads. You know? <laughs> everything, everything after 6 p.m. feels like midnight to me. <laughs> it is yeah. it is an abyss. It is an abyss. As soon as the sun goes down, Grant Grant goes down. He's just, you know, up, up yeah. and down with the sun. But if you think about the PFP movement. I, I got a question for you. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> she I, said I, it's I, only 9 p.m. Exactly. <laughs> but Allison, yeah, Grant Grant goes to bed around 7, 7.30 and gets up at 3.30 and, you know, he's got his routine. And I actually am super envious of your routine and I am starting to dial more towards that. But Jay, please don't let me go on to the circadian rhythm conversation. Please give us your question. <laughs> Grant, so like if, if we start thinking of crypto as something that's more than just speculation, which I, I think is sort of like what, what what you were saying. So we start moving beyond just the it being used for financial purposes and, and actual use cases of the blockchain. Because, you know, the people who are building are the ones that are left to actually building something. Uh, what does that say for crypto or like the facets of crypto that were just entirely about finance, not about any other intrinsic value? Like, like you a mean Bitcoin, like Shiba, Elon, Cat yeah. Girl Coin, or, or, or e even Bitcoin? Like, if it if it has no other value other than its financial value, what eventually? I happens? think that personally, I th I think that might be too far. Uh, that might be taking my abstraction too far. By this, but by what I mean is this: I don't think the financial function is gone at all. I think this is the moment, and, and mind you too, like I believe technology happens in, in predictable historical cycles, but I believe that they're accelerating. And I believe that when, if the crypto movement happened like the internet movement, the internet took maybe 12 years where it took crypto about, about five. And so uh, all I'm to saying do what? is where, to do what? To get to this point, 
where institutions now are normalizing the everyday use. And at that moment, and at that moment, all the projects begin to develop taxonomies. They begin to segment into their corners. And then they determine within that corner, a degree of competition. So in the form of digital assets, Bitcoin will establish itself as a digital asset. Ethereum will quit competing. We won't, and already it's happening. We don't even reference Bitcoin and Ethereum in an apples to apples comparison anymore because we know now that Ethereum is, is like apps and software. We know that Bitcoin, though it has software programmable components, its societal function is more of a digital asset. So to your point, Jay, I think like the shit coins are different. They'll end up in the retail um throw shit on a wall and see what sticks GameStop, Wall Street bets world. And that will have a societal function. It'll be the gamification of can I create something and bet and win? But in terms of, I think like, and Austin has a lot to say about this, like tokenized fundraising, gone. Like in America, I'm sorry. In in America, tokenized fundraising will be absolutely gone. The SEC will cut that off at the neck. So I think what we'll see is the nuance will begin to now take hold depending on the sector you're in. And I think crypto projects that come out will have to be very clear in their value proposition of what they do. I want to push back on that. And then I'll read what what Allison said. I don't, I think that from the, I've never thought about Ethereum and, and Bitcoin in the same sentence. They've always been two different things. Vitalik said, this is going to be the programmable internet you can own from the day one. And Bitcoin was always going to be money or some kind of a financial instrument. One was going to be Microsoft. And then you can say Bitcoin's digital gold. And I still think that that's like not giving it really what it can do. Sure. But I've never thought of them in the same one. And if anything, I think that they're actually closer together than they've ever been. Because in 2017, it was Bitcoin and then altcoins. We don't even use that word anymore, really. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin and altcoins. Right. Mm-hmm. And all coins, Ethereum was the head, it was the varsity of that captain team, right? The captain of that varsity <laughs> team. But now Ethereum, as long as I can make Jay laugh, I don't care about anything else. Now <laughs> Ethereum has moved up and it's like Bitcoin, Ethereum. And then we just call everything else shit coins. Like it's the bit, it honestly is Bitcoin, Ethereum, stable coins, and shit coins. That is to a Bitcoin maxi how the world is broken up. And even to a Bitcoin maxi, Ethereum is still the captain of the varsity team of shitcoins. Once again, I use that word, eh, but we don't even use altcoins anymore. So in 2017, it was Bitcoin and then altcoins, but I think yeah. Ethereum has definitely stepped up into an institutional grade level. And I'm not worried about it going away anytime soon. I think it's going to grow. I think Kathy Wood yeah. saying it goes to 80,000. I think that's crazy to think about, but I also think when the world kind of ties into it and if the sharding works and it can grow its scalability while also maintaining its security, which is really tough to do, yeah. Then I, you know, anyways, but I don't think it's going to go away. I, and, and, and you jumped contexts. So when, so, and this is the, this is the blessing and curse of crypto because crypto, any given crypto, Bitcoin, it's, it's digital gold. Ah, but it's also programmable and lightning and what network does a lot. It's actually a computer. And you're like, oh shit. Well, that's kind of Ethereum too, but we're jumping contexts. And, and you also are a mature investor or a crypto person, we're talking, we, the context was retail traders and retail traders, they sit around at a bar 
And they are talking about this and are just now warming up to talking about this to their neighbors. And their neighbors are barbecuing in the back. And for the first time, they're like, yeah, I'm getting a little into crypto. And they're like, yeah, what are you doing? Oh, I just got a Coinbase account. And I just bought a little Bitcoin and a little Ethereum. And and you're like, I got some oh, Solana. You I got, got some, some Solana? <laughs> I wouldn't touch that. And so like, I got some USDT, you know? And so they're talking about these in in that very, and so if you're thinking it like I am when you talk about it as coin market cap, I'd say, yeah, you compare. Now Bitcoin and Ethereum are neck and neck. They're very competitive, uh, uh, comparable. But what I'm calling for is the very near future as average retail investors look for jargon that's not so jargony but phrases that make sense, they're going to use TradFi terms. So crypto is going to slip into what we know in traditional markets. And I said this to my friend this morning, TradFi isn't this high-level conspiracy of the man holding people back. It's not like the government and the financial institutions are keeping us all down, intentionally screw us. It's the natural evolution of how we do business in a dominantly capitalistic world. And it will evolve. It's not ideal. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying it's natural. And so when you have something new like DeFi or crypto or Web3, once the jitters get out of all this newness, but I can't actually buy milk with it for too long. Well, we can in some places, but eh, but not exactly. Not for everyone. As soon as that kicks in and retail investors like Ernst & Young show up and Visa shows up and it's all just fluid, it's going to look the same as TradFi. It's going to get absorbed. So Bitcoin's going to end up in ETFs. That's what they understand it. Now, you and I know it's better than that, but that's where it's going to end up. In fact, I mean, that's what Michael Saylor did. He just created an ETF around it, and that's what we understand now. Ethereum's going to go into developer land. Stellar went over to IBM, and now it's just a piece of software for currencies. And so I think that's all I'm saying is, is crypto, I think, will actually get broken up. And the purists, the holdouts, will actually be the cyberpunk and cyberpunk people, but it's gonna be, it's gonna feel like Wall Street bets and Reddit. That's Jay, my guess. You, yeah, Jay, where, where, where are you on all this? <laughs> I'll, I'll make a prediction as well. Uh -oh. I, 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 I don't know when this is gonna happen. It could be five years, it could be 10 years, it could be 20, but I predict that at some point, the whole like financial aspect of crypto, that eventually goes away as well. That I think ISO and SWIFT and the CBDCs, I think they will accelerate what you're talking about. Totally. Right. Like, like not in, 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 in its entirety, but like you're saying, like there will be the CBDC version of crypto and then there'll be like some approved consortium of coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, maybe, you know, I don't know, whoever else makes it in there. And everything else is unapproved and, and not usable within, you know, I don't know, G7 or something, whatever. We'll still be able to use MetaMask. We'll still be able to do that, but it will just be for daily ease of use for my average basket of goods. It will just make sense. And you're completely right. Now, the question my friend asked, and I'm going to ask you guys this. He said, well, I mean, the promise of crypto was that it was anti-inflationary. When we get CBDCs, will we just literally say today it's inflation time and turn up inflation? <laughs> and I said, probably. Will we just turn down inflation? I said, probably. Because those are mechanisms of our capitalist system. Go ahead. 
They're natural. I think inflation is natural. If we went back to puka shells, we'd eventually have inflation of puka shells. It's just how it goes. <laughs> I love puka shells. So 90s. Puka puka shells are... I feel like it's, it's not the same thing, though, is it? Because like, How do you with, mean? With, with digital, with, with shells, you know, there's a finite number of shells. And even if shells were being produced constantly, you know, the, the rate of production is, is still can still be measured. Like, even with cash as it is now, even though we're not on a gold standard, like, we were still previously on a gold standard. So, it's like, that whole, you know, idea of scarcity that still carries through. But with a digital currency, you know, that's that has on an unlimited supply, I feel like the, the, the idea of scarcity goes out the window. And so, like, it becomes its own beast, no? Yeah, I, I would want to push back, too, on Grant's equation of shells Please. or anything. Even if you just take <laughs> shells, there's only a certain amount of shells that can be there. And most shells come from some type of sea life, which needs a certain amount of incubation period before it will shed the shell. And that's proof of work. So you were going to say proof of work. Good I mean, God. I'm going to get a tattoo just right here. B-O-W. <laughs> yeah, and people are going to be cry. like, served in Korean war. You're like, no, son, proof of work. Nope. <laughs> no, proof of work. This is a different <laughs> level of stolen yeah, value, which um, Grant always you. takes it to a different place. There should be like outtakes of Grant sayings and we'll make that into a podcast and it will either go to like a billion subscribers or no one will listen. <laughs> But no, I, I, I agree with Jay. I think that there's a proof of work component there that that isn't. But to get to your point of the CBDCs, for a long time, I was like, oh, that's going to be super sweet. We have the digital dollar because then everyone's going to be introduced to the blockchain. But more importantly, everyone will have a digital wallet and probably feel more or less comfortable with how that will work. Many other like China is already doing it. Other places yeah. do this. Other places have things that are set up like this. And I think it will create less friction. I think it will probably cut down, hopefully, on middlemen. Uh, I think Visa is really scared of that because like, they can't get their 3% or 2.9% processing fee with the extra 30 cents per transaction, whatever it is. And But the other side of me is like, okay, now that I've read you know, the federal, the Federal Reserve's document that talks about CBDCs, and you can get that at more than blockchain.xyz, shameless plug. There, um, there are two things that really worry me. One of them is the inflation that you're talking about, because then it's just a keystroke. Because right now, basically what's happening is Jerome Powell is stuck with this really, he doesn't, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place, which is he's stuck between inflation and recession. If he were to print money to try to like alleviate some of the pain, the inflation is only going to continue. But if he lets the economy basically crash out, he'll kill the inflation, but he's destroying the economy. And that's what he's currently doing. Because between either of these things, he, he's there to, you know, he's going to have to tamper down inflation, which is what he's doing. And that's why he continues to raise rates. So there's two things. One is the inflation. I think it's really dangerous when all of a sudden he can just push a button and then there's, you know, a trillion dollars more of liquidity, basically of dollars out there. Because that means anyone who has dollars or anything in dollar derivative assets, i.e. the home you live in, becomes worth less, or you need more dollars to get that same thing, which is this, I'm saying the same thing. That's number one. The second one for me is privacy. Unless it's done in a way where you can't tell what's going on, the government could figure out that I went to Target last night, spent $12.25 to go get a couple Gatorades and some uh, Dunkaroos and a Hot Pocket. And then the government's gonna know I went over to CVS and I got like some aspirin. Then the government's gonna know I bought I put $5 into my Skype account so I can talk to somebody on the other side of the world. Then the government's going to know that I bought my newest, uh, you know, I don't know, SaaS product online that's going to help me produce a podcast. 
I think that there are serious issue concerns I have about privacy. And then I think there are serious concerns I have about inflation. And this is where you get into this world where you own nothing and you can access everything because everything's going to be worth so much. And I was recently at a barbecue this past Sunday. And it's funny, Grant, you're like, oh yeah, you know, you're sitting around, I was like, I think I got into some Solana. Um, people, <laughs> you know, when you're over 30 years old, and you're at a barbecue, people talk about a couple of things. They talk about their kids, they talk about their marriage, and they talk about their finances. And they mm -hmm. do it all in code and it may not be as direct as that. But a lot of people were just talking about, it was a housewarming party. So, you know, real estate was very front of mind for many people. And there was a couple of real estate agents there and they were like, yeah, the housing is so ridiculous. Like there's not a situation in which in Massachusetts in 10 years, most of the homes, at least in the area where I am up on the North shore, aren't probably worth, probably the lowest you're going to get is about 800 to $900,000. And seeing as how the kids in college are still going to be bopping out of college in 2028, 2027, are going to be hoping to get a job that pays them $50,000 uh, in mortgages, even if they're at 3%, they're just not going to even have the money to put a down payment and be competitive with the black rocks of the world if they're going to continue to pay cash. So it, it, it is worrying to me. It's very, wow. very worrying to me. Uh, the CBD from the inflationary standpoint, for sure. I also want to say one more thing before I pass the mic to you guys. We only have 10 minutes left. I'm cool with going a little, a little bit longer because we start a little bit later. And I also wonder if we're going to push the data ownership and privacy for creators in Web3 into maybe the next Tuesday conversation, because I think that this is a really important conversation to have around central bank digital currencies because they are coming. They are on the way. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm I'm willing to go a little bit over as well, but not by too much. I can do a little bit. To your two points, um, I think they're valid concerns, and I think a lot of crypto enthusiasts hold those same opinions. Inflation at the press of a button. We already have that. That that's we do already, already have that. We do already. And have so, that. so I'm not worried about it being worse. I'm I'm so so I'm worried about a period but I'm not worried about it being worse. The second point, privacy and data ownership. I think we've said, I think Jay said before, and I do agree with this, or one of you did. I don't like the idea of the government. The government shouldn't be in the financial business and the government shouldn't be in the data business. It should be in the governance business. And I do agree with that. But this also, with NSA metadata, we already know NSA metadata already has full access to all of our purchases through credit cards. Visa, everything from Visa to phone tapping happens regularly. We know that there are data centers where they're the largest computers in the world, aside from Google's super uh, quantum computer, the quantum computers, aside from those, the largest non-quantum computer systems in the world are actively, even this call, is being run uh, and run through an algorithm to see if there's terrorist or Patriot Act or those sorts of triggers in our metadata. They already have access to the largest volume of data. I do not think that them having access to the CBDCs gives them a unique level of access that they don't already have. Again, I'm generally worried about it, but I'm not worried about it more. It, I'm worried about it in real time. I don't know if they are like tracking me through my Visa credit card right now. I'm not convinced that they are, but I also don't know, so. We, we need to bring our cyber tech people on if they will let us, because I've had yeah. these conversations with people in the seat. Because the fact that we haven't been flagged, I really feel offended and we need to- <laughs> Why flagging, not crypto bros, we need to step up, all right? I'm just, I'm step putting the pressure game. on YouTube. I'm let down, I'm disappointed, we need to step it up. <laughs>
to me, it actually speaks to how actual, like there's a lot of conversations where people make flippant jokes. But the fact that the AI, it's kind of like Facebook's um, algorithm, something gets flagged and then goes to a real set of people and then it gets analyzed. It, it's to that effect once people meet certain criteria and it's getting smarter by the minute, it's self-teaching. And so I, the volume of data they have to work with, with language learning and all that sort of stuff. My point is, based on my background and my understanding, I'm not more worried about it with these technologies. And that boils down to my, my, my conclusion on these two points you make, which I hear and I think people, I think people are concerned. But for me and my part, I'm not because rationally, they already have access to all of this anyway. I think what people's biggest pain is, can I get my money? Liquidity. And can that money move quickly? Velocity. CBDCs do that even better than cash. Even better than cash. And so when we look at that, and, and here's the thing, anyone who's been a fan of crypto, they've been wanting more people onboarded for these reasons. Now, there are, there are the group of people. Let me ask. Oh, this will be a question. Let me form this as a question. Did you guys get involved in crypto to avoid the man or to be part of a technological revolution? Why did, what, knowing what we now know, in hindsight, why did you love the idea of crypto? Either one of you. Jay, please. Now, Jay, with your comment, we want the NSA to flag us. So go ahead. What are you talking about? <laughs> He's like, Silk Road, Silk Road, Silk Road, Silk Road, Silk Road. Nope. <laughs> Not at all. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. What, what um, appealed to you about crypto? Uh, I think it was just the, the innovation side of it. Um, it was new, it was fresh. Uh, that, that, that's really what, what drew me into it initially here. Yeah. And so it's not necessarily yeah. the application of that innovation. It's just, it was something accessible. Let's it's get to Davian's comment in a minute, but Jay, I want yeah. to speak more on that. Can you extrapolate, go further? Like what, what were the initial sentiments that you had? Like, how did you see that playing out into the future? Uh, I think, um, hmm. Well, I mean, it seemed clear to me that there needed to be some other kinds of means of, um, of financing things, you know, besides just what what you had available to you. And I think a lot of that I took from my perspective of being in the Caribbean and working for a securities exchange, you know. Um, so, like, if you live on an island in the Caribbean and you wanted to trade, the only thing that you had access to was the exchange that was your local exchange and maybe they had access to 30 other companies you know and so like that and that was the extent of what you could accomplish and just because of that geographical boundary and then having access to to crypto uh then gave you this opportunity to invest way beyond your geographical boundaries and then on top of that i agree like all the, the other I like uh, Go ahead, go for it, go for it. Yeah, like DGEN, like, like DGEN finance it actually really intrigues me. Curve finance, the micro lending, the peer-to-peer, -peer, the liquidity pools. It educates people in a lot of ways, but you're right. The bankless have access to resources, possibly. I don't think the CBDCs will kill that. I believe people will just be more careful as they try to access that. But I, I, that, that also intrigued me, Jay. Go ahead, Jared. 
Jay, I love that because there were two things that really caught my eye when I first learned about Bitcoin. One was the global aspect because I've never really felt inherently tied to one place. Being an adopted kid from South America, raised in North America, I'm kind of like when I'm there, people are like, you're gringo. When I'm here, people are like, dude, that's like Colombian of you. And I'm like, okay, well, so you're kind of caught in between. And anyone who's ever like anyone who's a first generation or has a last name that doesn't fit their face will know exactly what I'm talking about. So the global aspect for me was it because I was like, dude, I want the money of the I want the money of the world. What is yeah. whatever that is, I want it. And I'm blessed to be part of both now, Bitcoin and the yeah. US dollar. The other thing that I really liked, and this is post 2008, you know, graduating college, undergrad in 2009. And after you graduate college, right, the story of my whole life was, well, now you're going to be able to get a great job and you, everything's going to make sense, was that we were living through a financial crisis where yeah. I felt that the government was basically beholden to the banks being greedy. And so the fact that no one owned Bitcoin, even to this day, is still one of its stronger parts. The yeah, fact that the founder has never moved any of the million Bitcoins he has, she has, or they have in their wallet, for me, is still so amazing. Because the second there's any kind of pertenencia, like there's like, eso me pertenece a mí, like this is mine or this pertains to me, mm -hmm. ownership for me really is like where society breaks down. That's where greed mm. happens. That's where jealousy happens. That's where envy happens. That's the thief of most joy because people sit on Instagram and they're like, oh, I can't believe so-and-so has a yacht and I can't even afford a kayak. And then they feel depressed, right? So I think that, you know, the fact that no one owns it and that it's a global thing, that just is like the most beautiful thing ever, right? Because, and if you recall, not many people recall, Occupy Wall Street was still fresh in everyone's minds. And it was, and it was, it, it was impactful. We actually thought the revolution was going to happen against the banking cartel, and you know, and then we found Bitcoin. And and to me, it wasn't just the promise of being in control of my money. And if I'm delayed, forgive me. It wasn't just the promise of being in control of our money. It was the promise of a greater degree of agency to some degree. And what I have found is the more valuable thing I've gotten for my journey in crypto has not been the digital assets I've acquired from NFTs to cryptocurrencies and tokens, though there is that. And I, and I still have a bag. It's in, in fact, all of my investments, 40% of my investments go into crypto and 60% roughly go into real estate. So I still believe in it, but the biggest thing has been the education that taking responsibility like, for example, the degen sort of, I, I call it degen, it's not really degenerate finance, but having to lend my money on, uh, on an exchange like KuCoin and then watch for those returns and then manage that responsibility placed on me to manage some DeFi finance for myself has educated me in a big way on, wow, there's two parts to every loan and what happens with collectability. And so it, the education has been has given me far more agency than the promise of an, an uh, anonymous decentralized token, though I still love that story. To me, it's not the center part of what I'm getting out of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Can we um, just shift here super quickly? Okay. Let's look at Dave, Davian's comment, because I think 
that it's an interesting one. He says, as far as tax, perhaps secondary sales on the blockchain will be a nightmare via the U.S. government watching over each digital transaction via the blockchain. I've thought about tax for a long time on blockchain and how interesting it could be. Because one of the things I think we most like is when we get our taxes back quickly. If the government owes you money, you want to get those back quickly. Now, if you owe the government money, you're going to put that off as long as you can to pay them. And if everything were just on blockchain, that could be super interesting where then you click a button and then it either takes from your wallet or it gives to your wallet instantaneously because the government will know that this LLC has done all of this stuff. It can write off some of it and it's going to get some of it back or it owes some. So that would be a very interesting thing. And I'm not really sure where he's going, but the, you know, the secondary sales on blockchain could be a nightmare where it's tough to track. And I know that even now people do and I'm blanking on the exact word. It's like tax washing or tax, whatever it is, where you buy an NFT and then you sell it. And when it goes down a little bit and then you rebuy it. So it looks like you have a loss in the books, even though you still own the same asset and the government still hasn't yeah. corrected for that. So many people do it. I don't do it just out of, I just don't do that, but I know people that do, but have you guys thought about the tax implications for blockchain, crypto, CBDCs, all of that? Well, and I don't yeah. know where Jay. Oh, go ahead, Jay. Yeah, well, I was just gonna say like that. That is a a lot of the driving force behind uh, central bank digital currencies, right? It's that. Um, but like, and and, and to, to your point too, Jack. Like, I don't know how how much uh, CBDCs allow you to see like the individual transaction. Like, if I go to to Walmart, I don't know if they can actually tell that I bought like a bar of soap, you know what I'm saying? Versus something else they can see like the, the transaction amount and, and the, and the, the, the person that I'm making the transaction to, but what the individual purchases at, but like, even if they did just have the transaction amount and, and who the, the transaction to now they have access to this information at the cash level and they don't have to go through like a visa or, or, or whoever they can essentially charge you taxes in real time. My my concern, so I, to Davian's point, I do agree, but I would nuance this sentence if I were to say this to somebody, perhaps secondary sales on which blockchain? Which one? Are they tracking every single blockchain? Shiba, Elon, Catgirl token? They're, they're tracking every transaction there. Well, in essence, I do believe that the NSA has access to its crawlers on a lot of blockchains. It would still be difficult to get all transactions on all blockchains. And so if someone was supremely concerned about tax implications on transactions, including secondary sales, um, I think that there, there will be blockchains for that to get off of that system. They will control anything that enters their system but we've had this problem to date. This is the same problem with filing taxes for the last two years, three years of anything that enters the mainstream fiat system and CBDCs will be part of that fiat system, right? Like anything that enters the fiat system will, will, will be risking this. And so we have to look at those blockchains. And right now we know of at least six that they could, if they wanted, say, okay, that transaction on IOTA, I can see it there. But there are uh, a few of the six are made for abstraction. So for they're, at least they're making appearances. 
with some of these selected cryptos that they're trying to abstract your information from them. But you and I both know that doesn't benefit them, so they'll take that information anyway. But I would say that there are thousands of blockchains. I and think that Davian's referring to strictly just CBDCs. Oh, oh, it could be. And, it, yeah. and that is in, yeah. in our CBDC talk, hence the tax. Yeah, yeah, you're I right. Think okay. The, the spending of money, but I, I never thought about Jay's point, but I love it that you may just spend your taxes in real time when you buy something or you sell something and the profit just gets mm -hmm. taken from you like in that moment, which would be very interesting because I, I would actually just prefer that. And then at the end of the year, I can say, Hey, I need this much money back. Cause I wrote off this much stuff. Yeah. yeah. Just CBDCs. Yeah. 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 Okay. I because you're yeah. right. Yeah. It'd be so hard. Also with the volatility of those things to figure out, Oh, on September 12th, you bought this with cat coin. And yeah. then it was worth this much in the equivalent of the US dollar or CBDC or stablecoin, however you want to say these things. That's yeah. just like an algorithm that's so unnecessary for humanity. But um, interesting. That is yeah. interesting. That's interesting because from a business perspective, if I, if I had net 14 days on my invoices versus pay me right now, that 14 days doesn't sound like a lot. But that net 14 that that money is sitting in my account accumulating interest versus my vent, uh, the person who hired me's account co uh, collecting interest, that delay of 14 days built up over all of my invoices over all the year matters. And so if the U.S. is taking that tax from me immediately, that has huge implications because even if I sit on that amount in my own account, which I do, I have a tax account, it sits there and collects me interest. And then at the, at, at the quarterlies, is when I do it. I pay the quarterly out that goes to them, but I made that interest and that's me. So I, I would have beef. I would have beef with this, but I wonder if that's built into the mechanism. Technically, the technology is available for us to flick a switch and say, no, I'll pay quarterly versus immediately. But will they give us that option? That's a great question. That's a good question. Yeah, because the quarterly, I have the same thing with my LLC. I have a whole tax, you know, you have all the bank accounts and you have your one for your tax and you leave money in there and it mm -hmm. it gives you a little kickback and you get to keep that. That's mm -hmm. just for you just having that money and being a good, basically business. Um, we're coming up on 10 minutes over. Should we do some wrap ups and then we will invite people yeah. to Sunday? I mean, Saturday, yeah. excuse me. <laughs> I'll do my shout out real quick. Uh, shout out to the shit show of... <laughs> <laughs> of us trying to get the event live. I swear to all that is holy on our 20th episode, our next episode, <laughs> we'll get the stream right. So thank you all for those who still jumped in. Allison is a trooper. She has not written us off and given us a one-star review yet. So thank you, Allison. Yeah. And, th and thanks for everyone who put up with the shit show. Jay, you want to give your shout outs? Uh, shout out to y'all boys. We've been doing this four weeks now, five weeks now. Coming up on episode 20 this weekend. So shout out to us, man. Mm. Nice. Yeah, the, I think, God, time is really flying. This this uh, weekend will be episode 20, and that's absolutely insane. I think going twice a week, we're just actually literally starting to double the amount of content we're getting out. Um, Allison, Davian, you guys were the only ones in the chat today, and I think that that is due to Grant's shout out that we just had a snafu. Apparently, it's our first time ever going live or doing a podcast. We'll get better with that. Go ahead and follow us though on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube at Not Crypto Bros. And we'll see everyone Saturday at 6.30 a.m. Allison, it will be your mid-morning. We will see you then. Thanks, guys. Peace.